1: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow.
0: iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more.
1: Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartRadio.
0: You want to go vegan because you want to lose some weight? Great. You want to go vegan because you love the animals? Great. You want to go vegan because you want to lower your cholesterol even better.
1: Save the planet. (laughs) If you want
0: to save the planet. Whatever your reason is, we don't put labels on it. We're not pushing the agenda. My audience, 97% of the people who come to Slutty Vegan are not even vegan. If I can get you to at least consider replacing one meal a day, then I know I've done my job and I know I've done something right.
1: Hey, I'm Tom Colicchio and you're listening to Citizen Chef. Today, we're talking to Aisha Pinky Cole. Pinky is recognized locally and and by her fans and celebrities trying to figure out how to deliver a sloppy toppy across the country. And, you know, she's not a chef, but she really is an amazing restaurateur. I first met Pinky when I was asked to mentor a few restaurateurs through a program that Forbes was doing, and I was absolutely blown away just the the handle that she has had on the restaurant industry. And the question that she was asking you was much, much deeper than what I expected a, a freshman restaurateur to ask. She went from a shared kitchen to two food trucks to now multiple locations, a spin-off concept. I'm sure there's going to be a movie about her life one day. while we saw many of of my peers shutter their restaurants during the pandemic. She has just grown. So it's just my my absolute pleasure to introduce Pinky Cole to the Citizenship podcast,
0: yes. I'm excited.
1: So let's just jump right in. People have uh, said it was uh, overnight success, but but nothing happens overnight. And you had a, a long career. Yes, yeah. you were kind of hustling as as a kid. Yeah. I want to ask you first, where where does the entrepreneurial drive come from?
0: That entrepreneurial drive. So the day that I was born, my father was being sentenced to life in prison. Right. He was a businessman. He wasn't a legal businessman. But he was a businessman nonetheless, right? So I grew up watching my mother, who 50% of her time was spent at a company, which she's been at the same company now for over 30 years, right? Which she loves and appreciates. And then the other 50% of her time, she spent as an entrepreneur, lead singer of a reggae band, radio personality, just still getting her hands wet and really trying to fulfill her dreams as much as possible as a single mother while my father was in prison. So- what I learned from my father being in prison and my mother being a part-time entrepreneur is that the hustle never stops, right? So I've seen two examples of individuals who really just wanted a better life. Even my father from behind bars, he would send me Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He would teach me about stocks. He would tell me about business. So I got all of the the business acumen from him, but I did it the legal way. So growing up, I used to throw parties and I used to make... F- uh, $4,000 every every week. Yeah, yeah. tell, yeah. tell me about that.
1: I've read about this. Yeah. You used to throw parties for kids and charge them.
0: Yeah, like high school parties in Baltimore. And I was just doing a thing. I, you know, People knew my family. We were Jamaican. We were well-known in the community. And I'm a talker, as you can see. I like to wear my mouth. <laughs> so I started throwing these events. But
1: how, how did you know these kids would pay to come to a party? I mean, I threw parties when I was a kid. <laughs> I, I thought I could charge people. Um, I
0: just became a salesman at an early age. Yeah. Like, I have mastered the art of bringing people together. And now it's coming full circle. Um, in high school, I was selling big chickens um, and reselling them for $2, selling candy for anything you can think of. I was just a natural born hustler and I know that I got it from my parents. So when you ask me where that entrepreneurial edge come from, that grit and that grind and that hustle, it really came from my mom and my dad. And I'm so grateful for it, for the humble beginnings.
1: Well, I think we see that with so many immigrant families that come to this country. Absolutely. And that, that hustle is... Uh, you know, it, it runs deep. Yeah. Because you're right. You know, immigrants come to this country because they want to make a better life for their, their family. <laughs>
0: right. I just know what hard work is, Tom. You know, like, yeah. nothing yeah. ever came easy for my family. I tell people all the time Christmases, I didn't get like, Barbie and Ken. I didn't get dolls growing up. I didn't get toys. I didn't watch cartoons growing up. I was watching Lifetime with my grandmother, right? like I I really saw examples of people that got up every single day, didn't ask for any handouts, went and worked. The lights were never cut off. We always had exactly what we needed. And I'm so grateful for those life lessons early on.
1: Now, Slutty Vegan wasn't your first restaurant. You opened a Jamaican restaurant in Harlem, yeah,
0: right? and, and it was successful. It was successful. But it, it started way before the restaurant. You know, my background is TV, Tom. Just like how you say you weren't prepared for that call. I wasn't <laughs> right. prepared to work <laughs> in TV. Like
1: I, I was never prepared to be on TV either. In fact, I said no three times before I finally said yes. Yeah. Yeah, so t- tell me about that. You moved out to L.A. to be, a, be an actress, really.
0: Yeah, I, I wanted to be an actress. And again, another full circle moment. I just paid my SAG fee, so now I'm in a union, thank God. But I went out there And this is the piece of the story that I really never tell people. I moved to L.A. with $250, a duffel bag and a suitcase and a Bible. I was in a three-bedroom house, but in one of those bedrooms, there was four of us living in one of the bedrooms, right, and splitting the rent of the bedroom. So we were each paying $300 every single month. And during that time, it humbled me, number one. Number two, I got an opportunity to work in TV as a production assistant. And then I got a call from the Maury Show. And during my time at Mori, I saved up a lot of my money, got a loan from a family friend. And one of my friends said, you know what? There is a building that is looking to put a restaurant there if you wanted. The rent is only $2,400. Mind you, I didn't know anything about the restaurant industry. Nothing. I'm not a chef.
1: Yes. Yeah, so so yeah, <laughs> explain, explain this. So this is crazy. You're in a position right now where so many chefs want to be. And yet you open a restaurant without... The first restaurant, zero experience, Nine. just because someone called you and said the rent's cheap. Now, actually, you got that you got that piece right because that that is is probably one of the most important things you can do when you're a, a chef or anyone trying to run a business to get a good rent deal. Yeah. And so, I mean, my first restaurant was was Gramercy Tavern. I got to say for the, for that space. In the Union Square area, the Gramercy, you know, Park area, that was low, oh, Well, oh, well, think about <laughs> it. It was, it was ten thousand square feet. Oh wow! In, in Union Square area, yeah, it was it was actually a great rent. You, you actually, re, you know, had that going for you. But what made you think you can open a restaurant, n- never having the experience?
0: Um, there's so so many things that I thought about in the past. Right. I thought that I wanted to be in the music industry, and that was a fail. <laughs> but I needed to do that. And, you know, I, I wanted to do the TV thing on my own, and that didn't work. But it wasn't supposed to work. I was supposed to get in the restaurant industry. And sometimes the universe puts things in your face that you least expect, um, and that is when you're in alignment, when it, when it works out. And it worked out for me because I didn't have experience, and I opened this concept up, and I had a line down the block. And I, I was selling jerk chicken, not even eating jerk chicken. I haven't eaten meat since 2007. And I opened up my restaurant in 2014 and, and it, it was successful.
1: How did you know how to put the pieces together?
0: So I hired a Jamaican chef. Some of the recipes were mine. And, and again, you, you know, you had a restaurant before. I actually lived in my restaurants like yeah. every day, all day. I sacrificed my early 20s to be in that restaurant. But when I look back at it, like I needed that training, I needed to go through what I went through—good, bad, and indifferent—because it really taught me how to be a better entrepreneur. I didn't know what I was doing so much so that I, I didn't even get fire insurance for my business, and you know, me having a fire at my establishment.
1: Right. So, so let's talk about that. You you, you opened the restaurant, big success. I think you opened up a, a second juice bar. I did, and so you're just you know knocking it out of the park. You got two restaurants you get a phone call there's a fire. Yeah. Go back to that that day, you know, your dreams come crashing down.
0: It was hard. You know, um I got to be honest, I put my whole <laughs> life savings, everything that I had. I, I did it by myself and to to work in a restaurant 14 15 hours a day and I can remember closing up my doors. It was the night that I closed myself. Um and I closed the doors and the fire department called me and they told me that the restaurant was on fire. So I I live right down the street and I saw the restaurant smoky at this time that they put out the fire, but everything was smoky. Everything was black. And I was just in disbelief because I'm like, every single thing that I built is in shambles and when I tell you that was actually the best thing that could have ever happened to me, because I probably would still be in that restaurant, clocking in every single day, physically being present and not being able to scale or grow, right? But I didn't understand it at the moment. That's why life is just so beautiful, right? Like life really teaches you about patience and resilience and just understanding that there's a reason for everything.
1: Just how do you pick yourself up? I mean, I know when firemen put out a fire, they tear the place apart. Yeah. They just don't you know, find the fire and put a little water on it. they rip rip the place apart they do the job yeah, but yeah. And so how do do you pick yourself up the following day? Do you go there and try to pick up the pieces or you just kind of walk away?
0: I I was in disability. I didn't know what to do, to be honest. I didn't have fire insurance, so I wasn't protected. I thought that I could try to salvage what was left. I couldn't. Everything was damaged. Um, So I fell into a little uh, depression. Well, what I felt was a depression, right? I've never felt like that before. And I can remember it happened so fast. I went from like, okay, this fire happened to my car getting repoed to me getting evicted to me losing everything to me, going flat broke. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, it felt like a failure. And now that I look at it, it was never really a failure at all.
1: So you ended up back in Atlanta.
0: Put my stuff in storage. That was in 2018. I came to Atlanta and it felt right. And at the time when I moved to Atlanta, I was running five miles a day. People people thought I was crazy. Five miles a day. I was reading every day. I was researching on YouTube. I was doing everything. Where were you running from or two? I, I was running on the treadmill, <laughs> 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 running the pounds off. Yeah, I was conditioning my mind. Yeah, yeah my mindset right. was shifting. I didn't want to go out. I didn't want to hang with people. I just wanted to like research. I was just in research mode. And I can remember I was in my bedroom one day and it hit me like a light bulb: Slutty vegan. Out of nowhere, literally, I'm just sitting there like slutty vegan. And I didn't know what it meant. I didn't. I'm like, hmm. I'm like, what is slutty vegan? Slutty vegan is a restaurant. Slutty vegan is. a. And because I was hungry, I was in Atlanta and on a late night, everything was closed. And I'm just like, wow, slutty vegan. And when it hit me, I called my best friend. I'm like, what you think about this thing? She was like, I love it. Do something with it. And then I just got to work.
1: Wow. So you were you were a vegan at this point.
0: Oh, I was vegan. Yeah. Absolutely. So
1: there's no place to go late night for vegan food in Atlanta. No. Um, And they have this epiphany, this, this slutty vegan. How long from that moment to getting the doors open did it take?
0: So I came up with the idea. First week of July, I started August 6th. Everything this this was from the moment of conceptualizing the idea to getting my permits and my paperwork, finding a shared kitchen, doing the research, creating a menu. So I moved really, really fast. I I learned that in L.A. there were so many ghost kitchens where people could order food and deliver. So that's where I got the idea from. So when I got to Atlanta and did it, nobody else in Atlanta was doing it. And I found a shared kitchen and I said, listen, I got this crazy idea. Let me try it. And like, okay, we've never heard of it, but you could try it. And I did it. And the first week, it was like four people there. And then a week after that, it was like 50. And then it just kept growing, growing so much that they kicked me out because they said I had too many people coming.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Stick with us, because when we come back, Pinky Cole will tell us about her plans for the future and how Slutty Vegan will one day be a household name.
0: Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public.
1: Welcome back. I'm Tom Colicchio, and I'm speaking with Pinky Cole, owner of The Slutty Vegan. Right before the break, she told us about how she had gotten kicked out of her shared kitchen. So you, you could get kicked
0: out of your spot. Yeah.
1: And so what came first? Was it the, the brick and mortar or our food it, truck? It was the food
0: truck. So... You know, what's funny. I need to call them and say thank you, because the owners were like, listen, I know you you got a good business, but the other tenants are complaining. You got to figure something out. Maybe you should go get a food truck. And that's what I did. Never ate from a food truck. Never been on a food truck. Nothing. I just put ten thousand dollars on a food truck. I got it wrapped and I parked it in the parking lot of the shared kitchen that I was at. And I just <laughs> <laughs> resumed business and it worked. And the next thing I know, Tom, I was on the east side. I was on the west side mm-hmm. and it grew from like 100 people to like almost 500 people standing outside every single day for me, for my burgers. And I'm like, wait a minute, what is going on? So
1: so what? what is going on? Explain this to me. What's, what's so, happening so, right?
0: so that's a great question. Right. So obviously, you know. The majority of my consumers are African-American, right? So my mission is to help all people see veganism in a whole new way, right? Whether you're black, white, blue, I don't care who you are. All people are beginning to get a little more conscious when it comes to the food that they consume, especially black people traditional soul food was a custom. So to be able to put a vegan restaurant in the heart of the South and create an experience around it and to have Black people be interested in it, that was something that you've never really seen before, especially because veganism once upon a time was considered a rich white lifestyle, right? If you think if, right, if you right, think right. about the communities in which a lot of Black people lived in, we didn't have the access to resources, the access to food, food in insecurities we can go on and on and on about that right once upon a time veganism was like oh that's the beverly hills lifestyle
1: right that that and goat yoga and, yeah you know. in the early
0: yeah. 90s and the early 80s so now when you think about beyonce advocating for be- veganism when you think about the biggest artists advocating for veganism they've made it cool and we are cool. I mean, all people are cool, but you know what? Like, if you really want me to give you an honest answer, right? <laughs> so, so I've been able to create an experience for people where they come for that experience, but they leave with the food all the while learning how to be more conscious about the food they consume, even if it starts with a burger and a fry. And the beautiful right. thing about study vegan is that <clears throat> it has translated from from being a black thing, right? Because I don't see color when it comes to food, and this is a form of silent protest. We're bringing people together in the name of food and love. It, it doesn't get more beautiful than that, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it doesn't. So do, do you come at, at veganism from a health standpoint or
0: from uh, you know
1: not wanting to see animals killed or eating animals? What, or do you see that while working together?
0: I am vegan for my health and I love animals all at the same time, right? Um, I think so often... People have put labels on veganism, which is why so many people shied away from it. So at this point, I don't care why you want to be you want to go vegan because you want to lose some weight. Great. You want to go vegan because you love the animals. Great. You want to go vegan because you want to lower your cholesterol even better. But whatever the reason is, you want to save the planet. if you want to save the planet, <laughs> whatever your reason is, what has made the business so successful is we don't put labels on it. We're not pushing the agenda. My audience, 97 percent of the people who come to slutty vegan are not even vegan. These people are flexitarian, vegetarian, meat eaters. Those are the people that I want, because if I can get you to at least consider replacing one meal a day, then I know I've done my job and I know I've done something right. We are not going to judge you. And that is how we're changing and redefining the narrative of veganism, because it's a safe space. You could be whoever you want to be. Come eat this burger and fry and I got you. You could be whatever you want to be.
1: It sounds like you're servicing two communities. You're servicing your community in your neighborhood. You're serving the greater vegan community at
0: large. Uh, 95% of my locations are in food insecure areas, areas that are in the heart of gentrification, areas that developers Mm -hmm. don't find too attractive because I want to create that space where people can see themselves, right? It's a historic neighborhood. So if a Black-owned business can come into this neighborhood and help to revitalize the community, help to raise the property value, then we've done something right, right? It'll make more people want to move into that community. It'll make more black people want to stay in that community. And I even just recently just bought the local daycare in that area. And I'm really? g- I'm making it a community center.
1: So you're not looking at gentrification as a, as a, as a negative thing. You're looking at this. This is a black owned business, gentrifying. My neighborhood, yeah, as opposed to people coming in, pushing property values up and pushing people yeah, out. Yeah,
0: no, we, we we are bringing the, the essence of of blackness back into the neighborhood, ba- back back, back the neighborhood. into the neighborhood, and welcoming people to come and live in this neighborhood so that it can be inclusive of all people and not just uh, big developers just building up these high rises. No, we're not doing that. And, right. and if I can buy and, and what I do is I buy the land. So I buy the real estate in these places. So now there's ownership and I'm teaching the community about group economics. I'm just being the change that I wish to see. Uh, you know what I mean? So, like, <laughs> I get to do that. And it's beautiful because I'll give you an example. My my Birmingham location that I'm working on right now, I paid one hundred seventy five thousand dollars for that location for, for three thousand square feet. Right. It's not. It's a, it's a historic neighborhood, but from the naked eyes, it doesn't look so desirable. But I did it because I know that when I put Slutty Vegan there, I'm given an opportunity for the local business owners to make money. There's another opportunity for people to come and buy the real estate and the property value will go up. That's what happened at my first location. And I'm going to continue to wash, rinse and repeat because I know that there is value in putting Slutty Vegan in these areas and raising up the value of these locations.
1: i put somewhere that some people in the community weren't so crazy about the lines and the the language and <laughs> the pl- the playfulness of slutty vegan and take it a little too a little too ser- a little too serious where the They were were complaining about the
0: the use of the word slut and that kids were hearing this. And and how
1: how did you respond to that?
0: I didn't get a very warm welcome. Um, And it was stressful, I'll be honest, because here I am. I'm just a young girl just trying to do a thing, right? And just really trying to help my people out. But it really taught me about resilience. And when you think about the word slutty, people always ask me like, well, why would you name it slutty vegan? This has nothing to do with sex. You know, I mean, 13 and 12 year olds are on TikTok and mouthing the words to every single curse word there is. I'm actually teaching teaching people something good. There's an underlying lesson here. So, when I noticed there was a transition, it started to make me feel good because now I got Muslims, I got Christians, I got old people, young people saying the word slut. And it's all about the tongue, the power of the tongue, what you put meaning to. So we, we created a word that that added power and value to people instead of taking it away. So it, it's no longer considered a degrading word because it's a family fun place, even though it says slutty vegan. So now I don't have any problems with the community. I mean, again, I told you I bought the community center because I wanted to show the people that I'm invested in this community. I'm not just here to make money. Right. I'm here to actually really build up the and revitalize the community in the very best way that I can. And I'm doing that so they don't give me any problems. Thank God. And hopefully I don't have any more problems with anybody else or any other location. So I'm happy about that.
1: <laughs> well, let's keep talking about community here, because I, I know you were very active uh, in the presidential election mm-hmm. and got Big wins, yeah. and uh, that was watching the returns that night in Georgia. I, it, I was just just so thrilled. I was on a uh, a bunch of calls during the campaign with the Reverend Warnock, and wow, what an inspiration! I, I was just just so thrilled, and, and I and I knew that you know Stacey Abrams gets a ton of credit, and she should. And there's so many activists that that are behind her doing everything they can to change it. Now now we're looking at Georgia um, that is just doing their damnedest best to keep people from voting. So, mm-hmm. so what's the
0: next phase in, in that work?
1: I, I don't get a sense that you'll ever stop. Yeah. Part of those laws is, is you can no longer hand out food or drink if someone's waiting and on that's life. That's something
0: that we did. A lot. I
1: know you did. I know you did. Are you willing to get arrested to do it again? you
0: damn right. You know why? Because <laughs> uh, I'll be there with you if yeah, you want. I'll get arrested with you. You're damn right. And I, got, and I got so many people that, that back us and support us. You know, through my foundation, we did an initiative with Impossible Foods and Jermaine Dupri um, to get people excited about the election before all of this stuff came up. Right. Um, and I like to say that we had we played a role in turning Georgia blue. But. You'd be surprised how many people actually want to know more about politics. They just don't know where to get started. Right. I was one of those people. I'm like, I, you know, I, I watch CNN, but like processing like all the information. I'm like, it's so much. I really just love helping people. And and I don't feel that you need to have a political title to do that. And I've shown that through my foundation. When you think about all the political woes that are happening in georgia is it fair absolutely not but am i going to continue to do the work absolutely because my my foundation is my campaign from the the, the murder of rashad brooks and providing for the family with scholarships life insurance um and a brand new car to like donating food and fruits and and money to to entrepreneurs and paying local rents for businesses who who were affected by the pandemic um and and right now i'm actually doing a life insurance initiative that we're launching on the 12th where I'm getting every single black man in Atlanta life insurance that they don't have to pay for. So I'm footing the bill. So anybody who needs life insurance, they can sign up and I'm going to pay for it. Absolutely.
1: You, clearly, you're trying to teach people that there's importance to this. I
0: mean, a- absolutely. Um, well, statistically, uh, the numbers show that, that black people really don't get life insurance um, compared to their right. counterparts. Right. Um, there's so m- much police brutality and 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 crime that happens in our community. It, it's a hard right. conversation. Conversation ahead, but it's the truth, right? So right,
1: so, so you don't don't have life insurance, and you're dying at an earlier yeah, age, leaving people behind. exactly. Sure. So
0: so when myself and um, my my foundation partner, we came up with the idea, it was a way to say, well, you know what? Like they keep killing black people, right? So let's do something where black men are protected, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, at least their fa- their families are protected. Yeah, yeah,
0: their families are protected, right? So not only are we teaching financial literacy, we'll be teaching about mental health. Um, and we're showing people that you don't have to go to a fish fry and raise money for a funeral. You don't have to do a GoFundMe and nothing against GoFundMes or fish fries. But we really want to show people that you can create generational wealth for your family. And all you have to do is this. So, so this is a step in the right direction. I'm doing a call to action to all the big corporations that want to support small, own, Black-owned, women-owned businesses to 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 donate money to this cause. And we really just want to do a thing to be able to change the world, even if we do it one state at a time. So I'm excited about it. Um, I'm excited about all the things that I get to do through my platform. And this is the meaningful work for me, right? I was telling somebody the other day, Tom, like, you know, business is cool. I make money, right? right? Like, I love that part. But like, the philanthropic efforts... That is what really, like, makes my belly leap. I watched my mother give the clothes off her back to help every single person around her, whether she knew them or not. I didn't gain like, 30 new cousins that we didn't share any blood, <laughs> but they grew up in a household with me. But I learned that from my mother. So growing up, I'm like, God, if you give me an opportunity to really bless other people, I'm going to do that, and I'm not going to stop. So this is me doing that, and I'm never going to stop as long as I got breath in my body.
1: Do you think that... that- the, the black community looking at these restrictions are going to come out in force just to push back.
0: Absolutely. But let me tell you something about Atlanta. OK, <laughs> Atlanta is Wakanda. <laughs> <laughs> OK. Um, and at, Atlanta. One thing I love about Atlanta is the people of Atlanta will band together um, to, for a good cause. Right. Uh, we are a lot more conscious In Atlanta Um, And that feels good Because there's so many Beautiful educated Black people Brown people Minorities White people There's so many people That are more in tune With politics Especially because Politics are affecting The people of Georgia Right So now Young people Are getting more involved Um, Young educated people Are getting more involved And more more Celebrities More rappers Are getting more involved And they are leading The way Of the efforts In like Making Georgia The place where people Want to live And people want to grow and people want to make money and have businesses. So do I believe that that people are going to band together and protest and and do the right thing? Absolutely. And I also think it's going to happen in other states, too. I mean, you see you see what happened with, you know, George Floyd. Rest in peace to him. Everybody came together, not just black people, everybody. You had white people, black people coming together for the first time publicly in a way where everybody was mad.
1: Yeah, but uh, you know, hopefully, it doesn't take more black men and black boys getting killed to do this. I mean, we have opportunities in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. I mean, Missouri is just too too red, and yet you have St. Louis yeah. where you can do the same thing that happened in Atlanta. You have Cleveland that could that could you know change Ohio. Yeah. And so, I, I agree with you. There's a lot of opportunities in a lot of different cities to get people out and, and vote. Yeah. You know, this is re- the real disenfranchisement when I mean, it really come down to it. Is going going back to Jim Crow. This is all about making sure black folks couldn't get out to vote. Yeah.
0: And it's so crazy. It's 2021, yeah. the world that we live in. Yeah. But I think that we have enough powerful voices to be able to combat that. And I'm actually looking forward to those efforts, you know, and I, I'll be right out there, too, with those efforts.
1: Like I said, if you want to feed people online waiting to vote, you let me know and I'll come down okay. and, and we'll get rest. We'll get arrested. I got together. you.
0: I call you. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll be back with more Citizen Chef.
0: Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep Deep inhale.
1: We're back with Pinky Cole, who was just sharing her amazing efforts to grow and change the community around Slutty Vegan. Where do you go from here? You're a successful business person. You are a philanthropist. You're What's next? I mean, obviously, you're, you're growing your business. Mm-hmm. How quickly do you see yourself growing? And are you going to go the franchising route? Uh, We talked about raising money. Are you in the process of raising Mm -hmm. money? What's next? I mean, do do you dream of having 500 slutty vegans across the country and in in Europe and Australia and anywhere else? Where do you go from here? Slutty
0: vegan will be a household name. I'm confident about that. I I remember when I first started slutty vegan and I was sitting at the table with two billionaires and probably like a millionaire and thousandaire. And I looked at them and I said, my company will be valued at a billion dollars in less than five years. And they laughed at me. And it was it had nothing to do with the money, but the value of the business and the impact that the business made. And they laughed. And and now I'm laughing because I know that I'm on my way. I'm opening some additional locations this year. I already have three that I'm working on right now, and that's Birmingham, New York, and Gwinnett. That's in Georgia. I got some airport opportunities that are happening. I will be doing an injection of capital, a large raise to be able to scale in a way that I want to scale. But right now, I'm really focused on making sure that my operations continue to get better, Uh, making sure that I bring in the right people to help me grow the company. You know, I started this company by myself and then I I, I grew it with about five people. And now here I am, I have 125 people helping me to grow the company. And now it's time to really level up. We went from a mom and pop to now this is a corporation. I am. I am. I'm looking for more people who have the expertise, who have proven to scale businesses to to really help continue to grow the company, because to be honest, the company is outgrowing me. Right. So I'm I'm keeping up as the CEO of the company. Again, remember, this is the girl from East Baltimore who has a background in TV, who just had an idea to do a restaurant. And now here we are. I have three locations, two food trucks about to open up three more this year. And I'm like, how did we get here? Yeah, and, and and you did this during the and pandemic. I did it all in the pandemic. Did that slow you down at all? No, actually, it accelerated everything. I, I I opened up a fourth location, Tom. Too, I opened up a bar. It's called Bar Vegan um, in Atlanta, Georgia. It, it does extremely well. But the beauty of it all is, I get to to basically do all the things that I think about every day. I see Slutty Vegan making an impact through the community, vegan or not. I want people to be able to see themselves when they come into my business. Right. I want a white person to be able to see another white person. Like, Hey, I see you. You know what I'm saying? Like I want a black person to be able to see themselves and, At the end of the day, I want everybody to be able to feel like they're included and they see a part of themselves and they can come and work together as a family. It's all about family. to me, And I am looking for more diversity in my company. And I'm excited about that. Right. I'm excited about the diversity and inclusion and just making people feel welcome and wanted in my business. And that is why Slutty Vegan is going to change the game when it comes to being a silent pillar of bringing people, all people together in the name of food and (laughs) non-food.
1: I want to get back to the pandemic question. Do you think you had an advantage because there there was a clearly and still is a a disruption in meat? Meat prices are going through the roof right now and uh, you don't have to deal with that. So what is the barrier to growth in terms of we're seeing inflation everywhere? Are you seeing the cost of your goods going up and how are you managing Uh, that?
0: Yeah, they're going up, but we just keep going. I think one of the advantages that I had, and I'm going to be totally transparent with you and everything happened with COVID. One, people got emotional. And when people are emotional, they want to eat. Right. And we were a popular company before the pandemic. We got even more popular because we turned on online uh, deliveries and now everybody wants to order online. That's number one. Number two, we saw a influx of big corporations wanting to support small businesses. And that was an advantage for us because we had the biggest of companies wanting to support us in whatever way we wanted to get support. Right. And I think that a lot of other small businesses could say the same thing. So that gave us an advantage. And because we were already doing community work before the pandemic. So we continued the community where People like, okay, this is a company that was doing this before even a pandemic existed. And now they continue to do the work. This is a business that we believe in and that we wanted to support. So I did a collab with Shake Shack. I did a collab with Morningstar, Incognito, Foot Locker, So, so many, so many within the year. I'm doing a documentary that I'm dropping August 6th. On my third anniversary, and that documentary is about how Slutty Vegan thrived in a pandemic. Literally, all the things that I just said to you, and what we've done, and how we were able to do it, and pivot, and just really continue to grow this ecosystem that we we know is Slutty Vegan.
1: I suspect that there'll be a lot of people in the trenches with you because uh, you're really inspirational and uh, and special. And and hopefully when you're when you're open in New York, I'll, I'll come and, and uh, I'll see you. In person. Well, you
0: have no choice. You got to be yeah. there.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'll be'll be I'll be, there, I'll be there for you
0: It's an honor for me to even be able to have this conversation with you uh, no, <laughs> and no. we get to candidly talk about like business and entrepreneurship um and I admire you and all the things that you've done so thank you for having me
1: uh, my, my pleasure really I'm thrilled to to talk to you as a peer uh, not as a mentor because you certainly deserve that thank you so
0: much thank you.
1: The way the pandemic has impacted restaurants makes Pinky's story of success something that industry should be proud of. I like to think that it's in part due to the incredible commitment to the community around her, especially during this time of crisis. You know, it goes to show it's very clear that restaurants are more than just a place to sit down and grab a meal. They actually become anchors of the community. And, And the community, if you support that community, the community will come out and support you. You know, Really hearing restaurants expand during COVID was unheard of. It was amazing to hear that uh, Pinky was able to expand. And there were a few instances of restaurants opening up that were about to open right before the pandemic and just plowed ahead with those plans. But, uh, you know, Pinky really has thrived during this pandemic. And again, a very hearty thanks again to Pinky Cole of Slutty Vegan for spending time with me this afternoon. And as always, a special thanks to A Place to the Table. Citizen Chef is executive produced by Christopher Hasiotis. Our producer is Gabby Collins, and our researcher is Lillian Holman. Citizen Chef is a production of iHeartMedia. For more podcasts, visit the iHeartMedia app or anywhere you subscribe to your favorite shows.